Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. I wonder if the conversations would pick back up if I didn't say anything for a while, or if we would just all sit here in awkward silence for a, for a period of time. Uh, on your tables are some evergreen candles, just little tea lights, so uh, if you weren't here last week, sorry, uh, we made these Advent centerpieces that have a scented candle, and each week... Uh, our children's ministry director has picked a scent that goes with the theme for the Advent week. Uh, And so last week, the scent was vanilla for Hope Week, the idea being that when you smell vanilla in like baking or something, you have this hope that you'll have a delicious treat. Anyhow, there are some, for those of you who missed last week, there are some vanilla candles and little votives for them sitting on the connect table out in the cafe. And so... Um, and then we've just been encouraging everyone to spend some time burning that candle this week, enjoying the scent, and being reminded of the theme of Advent. Just a way to kind of slow down and give yourself over to reflection on the season um, somewhere in the midst of all of your busy social obligations and holiday gift buying and things like that. So um, anyone, anyone do the candle time this week? Do we just have a bunch of unburned vanilla candles at home? All right, the McClouds did. That's awesome. People should be hanging out with them more and be like them more. Um, uh, So this week, uh, um, our scent is evergreen. The theme that is supposed to be tied to that for you is the Advent theme of the week, the idea of peace. And, And the whole thing is that when you smell that evergreen scent, you are meant to picture in your mind a, a dense, green, and luxurious evergreen forest. And just imagine how peaceful that is. Um, it, it, I, I have a favorite little forest in Washington State. There's this grove of old growth trees up in Lewis County at Lewis and Clark State Park. And every year we've hosted our men's retreats uh, there. I, I say every year, like in the before times, before COVID, when we used to do fun things like that. Um, we would do the men's retreat there every year. And... I had this routine where I would go for a solitary walk on the first morning waking up at men's retreat. I'd, I'd wake up early, usually because there's men snoring in the bunkhouse and, and uh, making too much noise for me to sleep. So I would wake up early and I would go for this walk by myself. The idea being, I'm going to go out into this forest, I'm going to go for a walk in the peaceful green forest, and I'm going to spend some time with Jesus. And uh, this particular old growth grove, I mean... You know, there's nothing like an old growth forest, right? Like the moss is thick on the trees and, and everything's so, it's so quiet you can hear it, right? You can hear the quiet as you're walking through. And my walks would usually start off wonderful. And then at some point in the walk, I would begin to just be conscious of the fact that I'm alone in the forest. Um, and in my aloneness, my mind would start to be invaded with various thoughts of carnivores who might be lurking there in the forest to get me. I'm curious, actually. Does anyone else ever have this experience if you're ever hiking alone? Okay, a few of you. 
All right, this message is for you today. This message is for you. Um, so, I mean, you think of the things that are, you know, around here, right? Like mountain lions. Those are the ones that really scare me because I feel like I'm not going to see it coming. Uh, bears and wolves, the turkey buzzards at times, you know, you see them flying around. Um, and so I would have these invasive thoughts that would gradually transform my experience from one of reflection and intimacy with God to, uh, you know, an escape from the troubles of this life. Instead of having an experience like that, I'm now having this experience of being on high alert and anxiously, you know, going through the forest, just certain that my demise is waiting around the next bend in the trail, right? And so I, I would talk myself out of this panic, like, come on, James, don't be ridiculous. You know, this, like, if you go five miles in any direction, there's a, a highway or a freeway. Like, this is a tiny little grove. It seems like a giant forest, and you're hundreds of miles from civilization, but you're literally, you know, 300 yards from the bunkhouse. Like, don't freak yourself out here. But fear isn't really a rational thing, Right? Like, when you begin to feel afraid, it's really hard to talk yourself, to rationalize your way out of it. Um, so maybe I'd be walking a little bit faster. Or sometimes, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I would, like, I would, like, duck behind a tree or a stump and, like, wait. And, like, the cougar's not going to know I'm there, and he's just going to come down the trail. I'm going to catch him. I'm going to catch him. He's going to, you know, stumble right upon me, not knowing that I'm on to him. Um, Eventually, I'd finish the walk. You know, I'd make my loop. I'd get back to the bunkhouse. And, you know, people are like, how was your walk? And I'd be like, it was great. It was a great walk. Um, so this experience of, of hiking, this experience of, like, fear of aloneness taking over, it, it's not like an isolated incident. It doesn't just happen when I'm hiking at the men's retreat. I mean, it, it, when, but when I hike with friends or family, I feel fine. You know, I mean, usually I'm like, Judging, okay, I'm pretty sure I can at least outrun that person. So they'll be the cat bait, and I'll be, uh, I'll be the guy getting my 15 minutes of fame on the news channel, you know, talking about this tragedy that happened. Uh, but if I'm ever hiking alone, that loneliness and that vulnerability, it, it quickly creeps into my mind. It, like, it takes over everything. You know, I'm a battling these imaginary creatures, right? I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm active. And I am walking through the forest terrified of lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. But I think what I'm really afraid of, what I'm really terrified of, is, is being alone. The idea that I would, would be alone. Loneliness, in my mind, is like this roaring lion prowling around, you know, ready to take me out at any moment. And, and often that's felt most acutely by me. I'm aware of that fear when I'm in a, you know, a peaceful forest. I know you guys are feeling bad for me. I'm going to be burning my evergreen candle, just shaking in my couch, burning my evergreen candle this week. Oh my goodness. Um, that's maybe where I'm most aware of it. But, but that fear manifests itself subtly in my relationships as well. So there's this roaring lion of loneliness lurking behind every wound I might experience, every disappointment I might have, every opportunity for confrontation. This beast is lurking behind that, telling me that if I confront or if I assertively communicate my needs or, or if I in any way offend someone, then I am going to be alone. 
And there's nothing that I'm more terrified of than being alone. I think, so, so paired with just the natural relational tension that happens when you are living life with people is this crippling fear that if I were to get upset or if I were to communicate a need or an unmet expectation or, or if I don't keep this person in front of me absolutely happy, then I'm, I'm going to be alone. And of course, being alone is extremely dangerous. Now, this might not all seem bad. I mean, as a pastor, my job is, on one hand, to try to get to be friends with everyone. So loneliness would be a relatively easy feeling to avoid, right? Um, but what I would often find myself doing in my life is, is then, because I don't want to be alone, I'm just connecting with everybody. And so I have 100 best friends. I have 100 best friends in my life. And, in fact, best friend's like a bad word because you can't have best friends. You just, I mean, you really can't have close friends if you have 100 best friends. So, um, so I would find myself keeping everyone at arm's length for fear that maybe I'd offend someone or I'd wound someone or I'd disappoint someone. And then, and then if I do that, then, you know, they'll leave me and I'll be alone. So similar to my walks in the forest, I'm living life and my head is always spinning with these Imagine probable threats to my safety, right? Then while I'm moving through life at this ever-increasing pace to keep loneliness at bay, I, I might look really productive, you know, instead of walking casually down the trail, I'm running down the trail, and I'm running from task to task and person to person, and I'm trying to keep it all together and make sure that everybody around me is really happy, and I'm being really productive, I'm getting a lot of stuff done, but inside of me, there's no peace at all. And inside of me, that fear is continuing to lurk. That imagined, uh, you know, lion ready to take me out. Now, this is my experience, you know, professionally and in, in relationships around me. There is a place of refuge from that. Uh, namely, my family. You know, my wife, uh, she married me. She's, she's, she's in it. I, I offend her on a daily basis. I let her down on a daily basis, and she seems to, you know, be relatively tolerant of all of that. My children are stuck with me as long as they still need me to feed them, and so I feel fairly secure in those relationships. And so I, I have, like, this refuge from, from the fear of loneliness. I don't engage in the same, like, people-pleasing and run around trying to keep everyone happy there. Um, and then at the same time, it's these people who can see me, right? Like you imagine yourself sitting in the forest up at Lewis and Clark State Park and you see James like running down the trail, like ducking behind us. You're like, what is he doing? This guy's nuts. And at times I think my family would feel like that. Like, what? What are you doing right now? You're running around from person to person. You're helping who move again? Like, what? You have issues. You need to do some work on this. And so this tendency in my life, in my relational life, really came to a head as I felt called to take some time away from the day-to-day -day of church life, away from the day-to-day -day people of church life, away from my hundred best friends for a sabbatical. And the whole idea is I'm going to disconnect from the daily task of leading this church. I'm going to unplug from the productivity and the people in order to spend time with God and, and try to figure out what is, what is wrong with me. I'm going up the mountain to meet with God. And, you know, we'd even say that. Like, because who doesn't want to have, as they're going on sabbatical, who doesn't want people to think, like, there goes Moses up the mountain <laughs> to meet with God. Like, this is a good thing. 
So I'm going up the mountain. I'm going up alone. So this is really uncomfortable. Um, and I'm in this season of rest. So I don't get to hide from these insecurities in my typical productivity. I'm kind of a workaholic. So usually if I feel any kind of relational tension, like I'm like, oh, I got to get to work. I just got to, like, I got to, I got to do something. I'm going to go trim the hedge or cut the grass or, um, this is just how I typically do it. But I don't, I don't get to go to work. I'm not supposed to work. If the people at the church find out I'm working, I'm going to be in trouble because I'm on sabbatical. And, and so I'm going up to meet with God. And, and, and then that's also unnerving because God's unpredictable, right? I mean, I can remember confiding in, in like a friend or two prior to sabbatical. Like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going up the mountain to be with God. And this makes me anxious because what if, what if God's not up there? Like, what if I go up the mountain and he doesn't meet with me? And then what do I do? Like, I come back from sabbatical, and they're like, how'd that time on the mountain go? And I'm like, well, God didn't show up. (laughs) How embarrassing. I failed, right? I really needed to get an A on my sabbatical. So, Um, And not only that, but if God doesn't show up, then I'm just up on the mountain all alone, right? And that's bad, because Lord knows what carnivores are waiting on on the mountain for me. Anyhow, as... As my sabbatical unfolded, I'm happy to say I didn't feel like I was going up the mountain alone at all. It just didn't feel that way. It, what it felt like is that I was going into the lion's den alone. You were supposed to laugh there. Come on, guys. <laughs> you know, so here I am temporarily unplugged from my productivity and from my 100 best friends, and I have to surrender control of all these roles and tasks that have previously fed my identity and made me feel like I'm doing well. I think achievers in the, in the room know what that feels like, right? Like, who are you if you're not getting stuff done? I, I, don't, I don't know. And, and then this extrovert achiever that I am has this crippling fear of loneliness, is terrified of being alone. It's like, who am I if I'm not doing something for others? And you know what really slows me down in doing stuff for others? In being productive and, you know, earning the love of the people around me? Uh, man, these insecurities, these feelings, these wounds that I, you know, the, the things that people do to me that hurt me, like, if I acknowledge that in any way, boy, does that ever slow me down in being productive. And so I think last, last week I talked a little bit about that disconnection between my emotional self and my rational self and just quick to dismiss uh, the emotions of anything, um, which isn't all bad. Yeah, I mean, last night I'm at a middle school basketball game and, and uh, I sat down in a seat that appeared by all accounts, to be unoccupied, and then this, this uh, person from a town I, I, I won't mention came and, and tells me that's his seat, and, um, and he's very aggressive, and I'm more integrated in myself, and so I'm more in touch with my emotions, so I can sense he's aggressive. So what I would have done before is I would have just gotten up and said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I got in your seat, and I would have moved on, but, uh, but my emotional self is wanting to react to this aggression, and, uh, and so, <laughs> so I eventually surrendered the seat, but not without cussing him out. And, <laughs> and then he wanted to fight me. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I know when I swore at you, you thought that meant I wanted to fight you. But trust me, I do not want to fight you for this seat. Like, this is not what I want to do. Permission to leave the room now if, you, if this is all making you really uncomfortable. Um, so 
I, all that to say, like, emotions really ruin your people-pleasing tendencies. Like, it is hard to keep the people around you happy if you're in touch with what's going on inside yourself. Like, and, uh, you know, Renewal spent good money for me to go spend time with that therapist so I could get in touch with, with my emotional self. Like, thank you. Thank you. And you're welcome all around. Um, so... So here I am, all alone on sabbatical, uh, and these fears are roaring. It's like this rumbling coming up from the lion's den, right? And, and the biblical language of our emotions places the seed of it in our, in our guts, in our insides. So when, when, the, when, the, when the biblical account talks about emotional things in, in the mindset of the Near East people, that... Those emotions are coming up from your digestive system. They're coming up from, I mean, in American society, we would say your heart. Um, but, you know, it's like it's like your insides. And I can feel that rolling around inside my guts, right? This discomfort with being alone, this dim- discomfort from being unplugged from uh, all of my productivity, this, this um, stormy, swirling, I mean, it is a lack of peace. It is the opposite of what an evergreen forest is supposed to be. Um, And yet, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm taking time to connect with my heart in that solitary place. I'm taking time to descend down into the lion's den where all the roaring is happening. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And kind of like Daniel from the story. So if if you're not familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den, um, the, the Babylonian people had taken a bunch of the Jewish people into exile, and, and one of the educated Jews was a man named Daniel. And he shows a lot of promise as a great administrator and, and a great thinker. And, and Anyways, he ends up kind of on this council of people who are, who are helping the emperor uh, govern the empire, and he's got a place of prominence. And, and a number of the other people are jealous of Daniel because he's such an awesome guy, and so they set up this plot to get him, you know, dismissed from his role. And, and they have the emperor set up a stone image of himself. And they have this, this thing that when this music plays and the bell chimes or whatever it was, everyone has to worship the image because they know that Daniel's a faithful Jew and he's only going to worship God. Or no, wait, sorry, this is the wrong, I'm mixing up the stories. Uh, <laughs> They say to the king, you're really great, and nobody should ever pray to anyone but our God. And, of course, they know Daniel's a faithful Jew who's going to pray to his God, do his daily prayers. And they catch Daniel doing his daily prayers to Yahweh, and they take him before the king, and they're like, we caught him doing his prayers, and uh, it broke your law, and you said anyone who does this is going to be thrown in the, den, in the lion's den. And so Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den, and, and he has to spend the night in there. Like, it's not just we throw you in, we pull you out real fast. It's like this, this is, you have to spend the night in the lion's den. And so like Daniel, I've got to go spend this period of time in the lion's den. And there's this, this part of me that is extremely concerned about what lies down here because I'm not in the habit of being in touch with any of that. I'm much more comfortable running around on the surface. I'm much more comfortable living life in my head, um, you know, where all the people are, where all the tasks can be done, where everything makes sense. I don't want to dive into the depths of emotions because if I do, you never know. You just might be fighting someone over a chair at a middle school basketball game. Um, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. 
And the next morning, Daniel's friend, the, the emperor, who really liked Daniel and didn't want to throw him in the lion's den, but he kind of gotten painted into a corner by these other people, he runs to the lion's den to see if his friend's okay. We'll read the story from Daniel chapter 6, um, verse 9. Sorry, verse 19. It says, At the first light, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. And he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered. He said, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel. He shut the mouth of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Of course, the emperor is overjoyed to find that his friend is okay. And Daniel discovered something in that lion's den that he never would have discovered had he not had to go through that. God protected him from the roaring lions. The lions' mouths were shut. And so instead of having a bloody and violent demise, Daniel ended up having a peaceful night. But notice in that line how Daniel testifies that God shut the lion's mouth. God saw to it not just that Daniel was spared from the lions, but God sent his angel so that Daniel would not be alone. We imagine God can do anything, right? So God could have just, I don't know, waved his hand from heaven and vaporized the lions. I mean, God could have delivered Daniel any way he wanted to. And yet, what he did was send his angel to be with Daniel to shut the mouth of the lions. What God did was send a person to be with Daniel. And the peace that Daniel experienced in the lion's den and the fact that he didn't, you know, didn't end up torn to pieces by these predators was the direct result of the person that God sent to be there with him. I really think it could be argued that the most notable discovery for Daniel in the lion's den was that even when he thinks he is alone, he in fact is not. So here I am on sabbatical, lions are roaring all around, and God's working through the circumstances of my life to make sure that this is right where I go, and yet I discovered something as well there in the lion's den. That's that I'm not alone. So I had prayerful guidance of this great therapist. I had a week's worth of this intensive counseling and, and tons and tons of homework and hours of reflection and prayer. And in all of that, I'm able to enter the depths of my fears and my insecurities that have caused this relational dysfunction for, for decades in my life. I'm able to walk into the lion's den. And in that place, I discovered in a meaningful way, I'm not alone. In this swirling storm of darkness down in here, God sent a person, Jesus Christ, to be with me. And my Savior met me in this dark den of my despair, and Jesus tamed the lions. I had this experience, kind of a guided prayer experience that this therapist was uh, facilitating for me. And in that experience, God met me in a powerful way, and something changed. Something was different. Jesus tamed this fear, particularly this fear of loneliness. With a word, Jesus tamed this roaring loneliness, and his presence 
quieted the storms of performance and, and people pleasing in my heart. And, and in a moment, I was completely changed. My heart was changed. I experienced peace uh, on a level and a, a completeness that I, I don't ever remember feeling before. In this miraculous moment of interaction with God, Jesus came into my world, and with a word, he quieted this storm. He shut the lion's mouth. And suddenly, being alone, being separated from my achievements, being separated from my people, all of that was okay. All of the other voices are quieted, and it was enough to just be with my Savior and hear him say, I am with you. I wonder if you've ever heard that whisper to to your heart. If you have, you know that it comes with this indescribable peace that surpasses all understanding. If you've been able to connect with God in that way, where the voice of the living God pierces your heart like it does for people throughout the scriptures, like it has, and, and as people have testified, he does for thousands of years. If you've experienced that, you know that there is nothing in this world that compares to it. My prayer this Advent season is that we would be able to live out this gospel that we believe. These things that in our heads we say, this is true, this thing that we tell each other, this is true, we believe this is who God is, we believe this is what he's done. This story of a baby that's sent to humanity in our darkest hour is meant to be your story of the Savior who appears to you in your darkest hour. The takeaway from the story of a baby born on a dark night in Bethlehem is that this, you know, this person who God sent to be with humanity in their darkest hour, the, the takeaway of that is that in your darkest hour, there would be a personified presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ present in your life. And we believe that God's spirit facilitates that connection to where you, a human being living here in mortal flesh today, can be connected to Jesus Christ, the human being who lives forever in his glorified body. And you can have an experience where you see him, where you connect to him, where you hear his voice. Now, whether the doorway to that experience is a moment of prayer, whether it's a season of fasting, or it can happen in immersion in worshiping with your community, or it can happen in the midst of a personal tragedy, or, or some hours of intensive counseling, whatever the doorway might be, and there's many doorways to those kinds of experiences, my prayer is that God would open that doorway for you this Advent season, and that he would, you would know that he is with you, and you would have great peace from that. Let's pray, and then we'll spend some time talking. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son to us. We thank you that your son's message to us is, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I pray that you would open each of our ears to hear that message this holiday season. God, we are transformed by your presence. And yet so often we live so much of our lives apart from you. May your Holy Spirit draw us into your presence today. We thank you for your faithful love, and we look to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. We've been doing these discussion questions for a while, and I don't, it's probably mixed results. You've probably had weeks where you've thought, oh, that was really wonderful. I feel like that was good. And then you've probably had other weeks where you're like, man, i got to find a church where they don't do discussion questions. This is terrible. Um, I really hope, and even today's discussion questions, they, they push a little bit more towards um, self-disclosure. You've got QR codes on your tables. You can scan that with your phone and get to the questions there. Um, when we live our lives, keeping people at, at arm's length, uh, we rob ourselves of the opportunity to have meaningful human interaction that feeds our souls. Uh, and this will kind of be our sermon for next, next week, Joy Week. But um, the whole idea of spending some time in church trying to have meaningful conversations is to give you an opportunity to have your soul fed by the presence, by the Spirit of Christ that dwells in your brothers and sisters. And so um, I want to acknowledge there can be risk in that. It can be uncomfortable. It can be hard. It can at times be easier to, uh, to sit at a table and listen to the background music rather than actually engage with the people around you. But I want to encourage you that this experience is worth it. And so... Um, where you have opportunities and, and where the Spirit can, I mean, I don't want people to, you know, feel super awkward and uncomfortable the whole time, but where the Spirit can help you get over any of these insecurities and begin to engage with people, um, I think it'll be a fruitful exercise, and I think it's a good use of our time together. And so as we turn to these small group questions, if you find yourself at a table with just one or two other people and you think, man, I'd love to talk to some more, like, take a risk. Try sitting down at another table. I, I promise you this, people aren't going to be intentionally rude to you because we all really care about each other here. So t- take a risk, throw yourself out, hey, is there room here? I'd love to discuss with you. Or, or if you feel that you, you know, you're good at your table, that's fine too. Um, you don't need to all come together. So anyhow, I've said enough about that. Let's take a few minutes to talk about this and we'll come back for communion and worship to close the service.